This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. It's Thursday, May 8th, 2014, and this is Slate's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. The big news of today, the old blast from the past from 1999. It's all Lewinsky, it's all Vanity Fair. And a sentiment, especially around the office here where I work with what a lot of the demographers call millennials is, oh my God, I remember I was in fifth grade and we had to have this talk. Writing in the Washington Post, a really good article, Alexander Petrie writes, for most millennials, the Lewinsky scandal is most memorable as that awkward moment when our fifth grade teachers had to give a baffling, halting explanation of certain facts of life. And always fifth grade too, right? How could everyone have been exactly in fifth grade? I guess in fourth grade, you don't bring it up. And in sixth grade, everyone knows what's going on. So fifth grade is prime awkwardness time. Oh, those millennials, they always think it's all about them, right? But you know, my my children's great-grandmother is 104 years old. I'm not kidding. So that means she was exactly 10 years old when she would have had to have this awkward conversation with her parents. Did the president do something wrong? Well, as you know, Warren G. Harding has a friend, and he's Secretary of the Interior, Albert Fall. Like, you have a secretary, Daddy? <laughs> no, no, no. This secretary leased Navy Petroleum Reserves at the Teapot Dome in Wyoming without competitive bidding. He also accepted bribes. But Janie from school says I can't play tea anymore because teapots are a scandal. No, no, no. Teapot Dome is the scandal, and Janie is an idiot. Don't worry, in six short years, her entire family will be wiped out by what's going to be called the Great Depression. How do you know this, Daddy? I'm prescient, sweetheart. I'm also an anachronistic figure of a podcast open. Also coming up, we'll be talking about Boko Haram, the group that kidnapped all those Nigerian schoolgirls, and how that seems to have dictated U.S. foreign policy. And yo, Mike Pesca raps. We don't have to get into more detail than that. You'll hear that rap come upon you. And in the spiel, news about a certain bodily function. We all do it, but for some reason, none of the other news outlets will tackle it head on. We will hear it to gist. I won't tell you which bodily function. It's not the most disgusting. It's a good one. We all need to do it. No shame. Okay, here's my discussion about the Nigerian schoolgirls. Boko Haram is a militant group affiliated with Al-Qaeda that's been terrorizing Nigerians for about a decade. But the group's latest incursion truly sparked international outrage, not the killing of hundreds that's been reported. That's become de rigueur in parts of Nigeria. It was the kidnapping of more than 200 young girls to sell as slave brides. Tom Rogan is a columnist for the National Review and the Telegraph, where he wrote about the West's response to Boko Haram. Thanks for joining us, Tom. Thank you for having me on, Mike. Appreciate it. Hashtag save our girls. That seems to have spurred the Obama administration into action. Not too many U.S. troops, reportedly less than 40 military personnel and FBI agents will be going to Nigeria to assist in trying to rescue these girls. What's wrong with that? 
you know, in principle, there's nothing wrong with it. Obviously, this is a particularly terrible thing that's happened in terms of, you know, so many young girls taken away from their families, a leader gleefully saying how he's going to sell them. I mean, it's about as bad as it can get. But, but the problem with, at least from my perspective, with this movement, uh, in terms of the hashtag mentality and, and the, you know, the easy calls for intervention, is that a lot of these people, the vast majority, I would say, are not actually considering the complexity of what that would involve. Uh, the area that this group are operating in, uh, what I would like to see from the people who are calling from this uh, is an understanding that they are willing to have American special forces put into harm's way uh, to take significant casualties, to accept significant casualties on the part of the girls. I'd also like to see what they think follows this, because in the absence of a major commitment uh, in terms of a strategy to deal with the group, you'll just see it happen again in the future. And in fact, the British, and you are an American with an English accent, but the British did right. assist in a rescue operation, and that did not go well. No, they didn't. I mean, the you know, British Special Forces, which, uh, you know, I grew up in the UK, and the accent, but, but British Special Forces, the SAS and the SBS, they're two primary units, uh, very similar to, you know, SEAL Team 6 and Delta Force, in fact, very close relationships. Uh, they, they had an operation in 2012 that was not successful. The kind of scale that this would require, the number of girls, the number of enemy forces, uh, it would be a, a very significant operation. And unfortunately, also because of the ideology uh, of Boko Haram, the likelihood of them surrendering uh, when being surrounded would be low, at least in my assessment. And so you would really have to fight it out. And a lot of people would die. Let's, let's come to the, to the brutal point. A lot of people would die. Uh, so, you know, the problem with the bin Laden operation is that for people who don't have a real understanding of special forces uh, actions, they just see an amazing action, you know, limited casualties, um, and, it, and it all went perfectly. But, but that's not reality. And the reality is very aggressive uh, application of violence and the understanding that you're probably going to lose a good number of people. So do you think that this points to an incoherence in U.S. foreign policy and interventionism? I mean, okay, there's Syria, and that would be perhaps a bloody war, and so you could maybe that would be a reason not to intervene. You know, you could have principles that say, if the United States thinks it's going to take a lot of casualties, that would give us pause in terms of intervention. But there's a very bloody war going on in South Sudan, we're imposing sanctions. There's dozens of Muslims being killed in Myanmar. It's not a country we're friendly with. We wouldn't be going in with the assistance of that country. So I guess you could make the case that all of these other cases argue against intervention. Nigeria doesn't have that set of circumstances. But what does it say about the coherence of American interventionist policy? I think what it says is really here is a fantastic example in the main instance, of how powerful social media has become, uh, you know, especially in the United States. You see the political movement. You saw, for example, Michelle Obama with the, with the sign, um, you know, bring back our girls, hashtag uh, the president now getting involved. This happened three weeks ago. The president was briefed on this. Yeah. I, by the way, have no special sources, but on April 15th or so, I read about it in the New York Times. So I've known about it for right. three weeks, and they must have too. Right. Yeah. Right, exactly. And, and, you know, the president was briefed on this. And, and again, you know, I've been a pretty fervent critic of the, of the president's foreign policy. But, 
you know, I, I understand why he was hesitant uh, in, in that first instance. But you see, though, what, what has changed is Twitter. The hashtag has changed American policy and forced the administration into a response. And one thing I would specifically mention, though, is, you know, a, a lot of the people who are calling for intervention here are, I suspect, pretty against intervention in other places. And, and Syria would come to mind. And, you know, the problem with Syria is that now you have the successor to al-Qaeda in Iraq, uh, the Islamic State of Iraq and al-Sham, who is taking apart that country is in the north, you know, crucifying people now. So, so Syria, yeah. the angle there for intervention would be much more obvious in terms of U.S. strategic necessities as well as the humanitarian angle. Right. Um, of course, though, because of the, you know, the symbolism of, of these girls uh, and the political movement that that's awakened, uh, certainly on parts of the you know American political left, I think it's pushed the president into a change of strategy. Right. Okay. So Robert Rotberg, writing in the uh, in the Christian Science Monitor, points out that Western nations can deploy satellites to pinpoint the whereabouts of the girl. They have equipment to intercept communications. They could train Nigerian forces. There are things the United States can do. I think the people arguing for intervention make the case that it's not much more than lifting a finger to do something. You've made the case that that perhaps is you know, looking at it through rose-colored glasses. What do you think the best-case scenario is with what will happen with this mission, and how likely is that best-case scenario uh, to play out? Well, the, the best-case scenario uh, is that I think the girls are released. What achieves that through negotiations, uh, you know, I, I, think it's, I think it's unlikely. Um, in terms of the best case for a military operation, I know that the, it, it's been talked about a lot uh, in the U.K. that the British may have actually sent... Uh, you know, special forces unit there. I mean, of course, you know, if you have luck on your side, actually you could pull off a rescue and, and get the girls back. But, you know, for me, I think if we are going to do something, then it has to be a more durable response uh, over the longer term to really take apart this group because they are a grotesque group. I mean, you know, before, and this shows actually the hashtag thing, before the kidnapping, you know, that one of their favorite uh, things to do, and they still do, did it last weekend, is to go around burning people alive. They yeah. went into a school uh, in March uh, locked the kids in the dormitory, set it on fire, and the kids have got out of their throats slit. So they are a group that needs to be taken down. Uh, I, I would like, you know, obviously we the, get the situation with this girl dealt with. But then, actually, in my piece, I said, put some drones up there uh, and put that pressure on them in terms of, you know, you're not putting forces in there, but you are, you know, taking out different formations of the group that are moving around. These are not people who you can have a, cup of tea in a negotiation with. You need to kill them or capture them, and it's brutal, and it's that's what it is. Tom Rogan writes about foreign policy and security issues for the National Review, and for the Telegraph, he wrote Boko Haram and Twitter, does the hashtag campaign understand what it's asking for? Thank you, Tom. Thanks, Mike. So the gist is not just a compendium of world news and arresting cultural ephemera. It is a chance for me to better myself and for you, the listener, to learn vicariously as I learn. So to that end, I was considering commissioning a series where I was taught the proper techniques of executing a squat thrust and an upright row, but the audio of that was kind of awful. So then I started thinking, all right, how do I better myself but have it sound good? Have it sound something like this. Parents, 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 parents. 
This is Mark Martin. He's a beatboxer, and he's joined now by Douglas Whitek. How you doing, man? We're going to rap according to plan. Rachel Rosenthal is here, too. Yo, yo, that's here we go. Yo, you can listen to my flow. But by the way, you could call me Ray Rowe. All right. Now, I just want you to know, awesome, <laughs> we planned none of that out. And that's because <laughs> these guys are improvers, and they are going to teach me how to rap, how to, how to flow, how to freestyle rap. It's a dream of mine. It's a dream I think that's, a, that's attainable. Becoming a good dancer is also a dream of mine that's not attainable. So, Douglas. Yes. Give me a little background on who you are and what you guys do. Uh, well, I've been doing improv comedy here in New York for six years, but we started a group called North Coast five years ago where we mix improv comedy and hip-hop, and we do a lot of freestyling and beatboxing on stage. Is there a big call for that, Rachel? I'd say, yeah, right now. I mean, we've been getting, like, a ton of interest, and we actually just held auditions and found that there's actually a ton of comedic rappers out there. So I think the interest is definitely growing. And, Mark, your beatboxing, is it based in comedy? I mean, are you a funny person who happens to beatbox? Do you have a comedy improv uh, I'm actually not funny at all. Yes. Uh, my <laughs> background is actually in theater. I've been traveling with a group for the past three years beatboxing. So you're not an improver, no. except to the extent that beatbox is inherently an improvisational art. Well, as far as improvisation, I grew up as a jazz-based, so improvisation has always been part of my understanding, but not necessarily comedy. For me, it's an improvisational musical background. And your bassist background, how does that inform what you do? Uh, well, actually, that's how I got into the beatboxing scene. I was tired of carrying this giant, fragile, beautiful instrument around the city. And so, and now you still do it, but that is your own. I voice. am, yes. I am the instrument. It's so fragile. <laughs> but you know, a lot of the beatboxing is. It's it's the bass. So it's the bass. Douglas, yeah. who signs up for your classes? Oh man, uh, the whole gamut. Uh, Middle-aged ad execs who are like, I want to bring it. Do you go to corporate sites to teach this ever? Yeah, we've been hired by big corporations to come and do their like speeches and stuff. So they'll be like, all right, we have cross-flexing di diaphragmatic flows going on with our um, energizing corporation. <laughs> and then they'll go, and now... North Coast. And we'll walk on the stage and we'll be like, diaphragmatic flows. And it's like we come on stage and talk about what they just uh -huh. talked about, which was like the most Parks and Rec, the office uh, yeah. corporate gibbery do ever. All right. So, Rachel, let's say, you know, well, not, not let's say this is real. I'm here. I'd like to learn a little bit of your technique. What's the first thing, you know, you tell someone like me? Uh, I guess, to be honest, the first thing I would say is that you need to have a little bit of confidence about it. Uh, a lot of people can rhyme, but they don't think that they can rap. And when you combine the two together, it's kind of when you start to feel like you're actually freestyling. First of all, we're sitting down. Is standing better for this, do you think? Let's stand up. I would love stand? to stand. All right, let's so stand. Let's do it. You got to stretch this up. Uh, oh, try to be on mic. About to do it. Yeah. yeah what about a, a sports jacket? I'm wearing a sports jacket. And uh, I'd like fans to just to know bra. I usually wear a tux, but... <laughs> All so right. first we'll like teach you something where you don't have to worry about the rhyme. Okay. Is that cool? Yeah. Cool. Right. Uh, so it's very basic. Right. Uh, and it goes like this. It's, my name is blank and I'm here to say, I like blank in a major way. All the right. rhyme's already built in. That's cool. You know your name, right? Right. So all you got to do is fill in that blank of what you like. All right. My name is Mike and I'm here to say, I like vexillology in a major way. Woo! 
And I think our work here is done, folks. <laughs> My name is Doug, and I'm here to slay. And I really like slate in a major way. My name's Ray Rowe, and I'm here to say I like eating fruit in a major way. My name is Mark, and I'm here to say that I like cheese in a very big way. Do I go again, or do I let it end? All right, it's well. all about the confidence. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> You I love it. that we're standing around this table yeah. with button-down shirts, just getting down. <laughs> you know that, by the way, slightly more complex than anything P Diddy has ever done. <laughs> uh, thank you. Yeah, thank you, okay. and you're welcome. So, uh, you're familiar with the Beastie Boys? I know of their work. Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, one thing that they do a lot is. Uh, as a lot of rappers do, is like they all land on the same rhyme at the same time. That is cool. In this exercise, uh, that's what we teach. So basically, we call it the beastie rap. Mm -hmm. And it's a way to set yourself up for a rhyme with uh, a little bit of context. Yeah. So we'll start with you and then go this way. I'm standing right here and I'm wearing a shirt. When I talk to ladies, you know I'm a flirt. See what I mean? How'd you know he was, how'd you, what Because the, uh, <laughs> the context of the rhyme is so important. So when he said, yeah. when I talk to ladies, and I know he's going to rhyme with ert. Right. So uh, flirt makes sense. Right. Also, I've been working with him for many years. Yeah. yeah. So what we're going to do is we're going to slow the beat slow down, the beat and we're going to add da 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 So Good we're call. standing here on the radio. Da 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 Glad to be recording this podcast show. I don't call you my brother. I call you my bro. Sometimes I rap fast. Sometimes I rap slow. My favorite author's name is Foucault. The Miz was written by Victor. You go. go. Da, 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 da. When I'm sitting at a stoplight, I just want to go. go. Da, 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 da. Yeah. So I'm standing here. You know we're having so much fun. Da, 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 da. The number before two. One. Thank you. I get what you're saying, but I haven't thought of a thing to say after it. I guess I got caught. No worries. No worries. It's about that confidence. So we uh, keep going on un. It's the money you spent. Right. So I like airports because of Cinna. I'm doing all my work till the work is done. I rap like DMC, you rap like Ron. My favorite female actress is Olivia Munn. I ran the marathon, but I didn't run. That was my bad. <laughs> uh, well, you like clearly can rhyme. I mean, you're. It's true. I, I have a five year old. There's a lot of rhyme. A lot of rhyming involved. <laughs> yes. So you've been training for this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cue training sequence. Yeah. Montage. It's a montage. <laughs> it's like an M. Night Shyamalan movie where I didn't even know it, but I was gearing towards this perfect execution of, you know, all my life's tasks. Mm -hmm. Like I was keeping water around the house and it's because aliens are allergic to water. <laughs> I was rhyming with a five-year-old so I could become the perfect rapper. Exactly. <laughs> now I get it. 
Cool. Okay, let me ask you about speed of thought. Is it something that can be learned? Okay, I mean, you're slowing it down, you're adding extra beats. I mean, but you're rapid fire, you're quick. Is this something, is this learned behavior? This is learned. This is a, this is a muscle. This is developing the connection between the muscle memory in your mouth, those rhymes that are associated with it, and your unconscious memory of every rhyme you've ever heard in your entire life. Do you find, what's the hardest for you, to, to conceive of it or to make it actually come out in a discernible way, Rachel? I think everyone make, has a totally different technique. Like, I'm definitely someone who sets myself up for my rhymes, whereas Doug can just flow off the top of his head and he will automatically land on a rhyme. Mm -hmm. So I think it depends on the kind of person you are. Um, but also, um, there's techniques that can help you. Right. So if you're landing, if you're setting yourself up for something that's really impossible, you can obviously always add, like, you see or you know, right? And add those, like, much easier... Uh, sounds to rhyme and set yourself up with those. Right, right, right. So at the end of something that's a really complex expression of your inner being, you know, it becomes <laughs> totally. much easier if you want to abet the flow. Okay, yeah. I got you. I mean, I feel like you don't really need freestyle <laughs> lessons. Like, you kind of got it. Yeah, you're kind of good at this. Huh? I'm trying to be just better than P. Diddy. That's my <laughs> criteria. There. Rachel Rosenthal, Ray Ro, Douglas Wydick, and our beatboxer, Mark Martin. <laughs> they are the North Coast team. They perform at the People's Improv Theater. They teach classes at the Magna Theater. All right, thanks, guys. Take us out on something. The best show to date. Podcast right here at the Slate. Oh, man, it was better than my first kiss. Hanging out, talking up on the gist. Freestyling, buckwiling, group of folks. You know we're going to get them Facebook posts. Because Mike's rhymes were oh so tight. I can't believe this is his first time on the mic. Yeah, he was good. You know his rhymes were oh so bold, even though he has a five-year-old. Oh, man, that's how he rocks her. Let's bring it over to the beat. Boxer. And now it's time for the spiel. In today's spiel, it's urine news. Andrea, do we have our urine news jingle? We don't have a urine news jingle budget. Ah, could you like work up a jingle by yourself? Um, you're in the news. You're in the news. It's your special day because you're in the news. Ah, okay. I see what's going on. You think. I mean, like, you're in the news, you're an important person, the news is about you, Time Magazine, 2006 Man of the Year, all that. No, no, no. I mean, urine news, U-R-I-N-E, urinating, that sort of urine. Could you, could you give me a jingle about that? It's urine news, urine news, I'm a little ashamed to be saying it. Here's Mike with the urine news. All right, thanks. Urine news item one. Mount Tabor Park's three drinking water reserves are tranquil backdrops for views of the park and the city skyline. That, according to the official Portland, Oregon website. But to idiot teen Dallas Swanger, they were tranquil backdrops for me to pee on. The latest is that the city of Portland will not, as they had once announced, flush all 38 million gallons of water from the reservoir. As idiot teen Dallas Swanger noted in an interview, how can they be like, yeah, we're going to flush all that water? Dude, I've seen dead birds in there. During the summertime, I've seen hella dead animals in there, like dead squirrels. I mean, really, dude? Yeah, really, dude. And on to our next story. Actually, let me add a little news ticker here. 
beep, 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 beep. Next in urine news, Hong Kong. Last month, a husband and wife pair of tourists from the mainland decided to allow their four-year-old to publicly void himself in Hong Kong. A disgusted local videotaped the child passing water. Then an equally disgusted parent of the child grabbed that cell phone asking, what are you doing taking a picture of my kid's private parts? Well, I wouldn't be taking a picture of your kid's private parts if you would just use the bathroom. Crowd gathers, starts harassing the mictorating mainlanders. Quickly, the fight escalates into a national conversation. Hong Kongers call the mainlanders locusts. Mainlanders call Hong Kongers dogs. Chinese newspaper compares Hong Kongers of an anti-tinkling bent to, well, of course, to what else? Neo-Nazis. And somewhere, there's a little four-year-old who never asked for any of this, who has to pee really, really badly all over again. Beep, 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 beep. Back to Oregon, the nexus of urine news, where yesterday was the last day to mail in your ballot in the House primaries. If you're living in the 4th Congressional District, you may have gotten a mailer touting the candidacy of Republican Art Robinson. Voters there may remember that name from a previous mailer. Art Robinson has been soliciting the people of Oregon to send him their urine. He wants to acquire 15,000 urine samples to study for degenerative disease. He claims the urine samples will help him calibrate a diagnosis machine. Beep, 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 beep. Okay, so what have we learned? Well, we learned if there's urine in a story, someone will write that story. But we also learned that there is one nasty bodily process that trumps urine. And that process is twerking. Yes, we go back to Oregon. Headline, um, beep, 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 beep. Headline, three women arrested after twerking in Beaverton. Three women were arrested after twerking at an impromptu dance party in the Beaverton City Hall parking lot. Yes, twerking beats urine in terms of newsiness. So how do I know this? Because later down in this story, this arrested for twerking story, it says what actually happened. Here we go. Police say the women exposed themselves as one of the women filmed the moves. The Oregonian newspaper reported one lifted her skirt and urine between two cars, they were also accused of bringing drugs to the courthouse. So these women bring drugs to a courthouse, they urinate in public, and the headline says they were arrested for twerking? How did twerking get blamed for this? That's like saying 1970s Bronx serial killer of blonde women arrested for liking dogs too much. Twerking is clearly the non-felonious side product of what, by all rights, should have been my last item in urine news. Andrea. That was news about peeing. Thank you, Mike, for the urine news. And that's it for Yellow Journalism and the show today. Andrea Salenzi does a whiz-bang job as our producer. Andy Bowers is a wicked pissa of an executive producer of Slate Podcasts. You could subscribe in iTunes and give us a review. We have some up there. Add to it. You could search for Slate Gist in your favorite podcast app on your Android or iOS device. There's Stitcher. There's SoundCloud. We are also in the Slate Daily Podcast feed. There's the Gist email option. What was once a 14-step process, including two-step verification with a biometric identifier and NSA-level encryption, is now this. You ready? Slate.com slash gist email. That's right. Slate.com slash gist email. And then you sign up for the email. What the email does is it tells you every day when the show's ready. And also, you can play the show right from the email. It's pretty awesome. And you can send us email. We're at thegist at slate.com. Let us know what you think. We'll be back at the same time tomorrow. If you have to go, go now. I don't want to stop on the way. And thanks for listening. <laughs>